Welcome to the Luxury Listing Specialist Podcast with Michael Lafito, where top luxury agents reveal their best practices, plus interviews with real estate industry influencers, thought leaders, and luxury marketing experts. You'll come away from each episode with new strategies and tactics to dominate high-end homes in any market. And now for the latest episode of Luxury Listing Specialist. Here's your host, luxury real estate expert, coach, and trainer, Michael Lafito. Hey, everyone. It's Michael Lafito from the Luxury Listing Specialist podcast and the Luxury Listing Specialist certification. I have uh, here Matt Johnson, who recently interviewed Gary Gold, who's the executive vice president of Hilton and Highland. And the reason I had Matt interview Gary is I, I ran into Gary at the Inman Luxury Conference in October of 2016. And he sat on a panel with Mauricio Ormansky from the agency and talked about what he did to get the Playboy Mansion sold. Perhaps you heard about the Playboy Mansion. It recently sold. It was the highest price ever paid for a Los Angeles residence, and according to the LA Times. And Gary Gold shared some really cool insight into what went into securing that listing. He also talked about how it's uh, the, the pros and the cons of working with another agency, another brokerage when marketing a property. So I felt it was very valuable. So I had Matt reach out to Gary. And unfortunately, I couldn't be on the interview, but uh, Matt did a great job. So I just want to give you a little insight on why we had Gary Golden here. He, along with a few others, are responsible behind the Playboy Mansion, the highest price ever. So with that being said, sit back and enjoy the interview and uh, keep an eye out for other luxury listing podcast interviews in the near future. We hope you enjoy it and talk to you soon. So welcome, everybody. This is the Luxury Listing Specialist Podcast. Uh, our host, Michael Lafito, unfortunately could not join us. My name is Matt Johnson. I'm the producer for the show. And we have our very special guest here, Gary Gold. And we're going to talk about uh, his perspective on taking and marketing luxury listings, as well as the story behind how he sold the Playboy Mansion, which I know everybody is interested in. We'll get to that in a second. But first of all, I just wanted to welcome Gary in and say uh, thanks for being here, Gary. We appreciate it. Great. How are you doing? Doing really, really well. So uh, let's start off with a little bit about your background. I'm sure there's a lot of people in the in the industry that already know who you are, but I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that don't. So let's start just with the basics of uh, kind of how you got to where you are, the areas that you service, and maybe something that people don't know about your uh, your journey to get to where you're at. Yeah, well, I started real estate when I was 17 because I uh, I needed a car. I ruined my car. I tried to painting it myself, which I don't recommend. <laughs> Especially if you're Jewish, it's not. We 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 we, we don't excel in like painting our own cars. Oh. Um, <laughs> so I ruined it, and my brother said, "Come work for me, and I'll buy you a car." And he was a young guy in real estate when everyone was like a hundred years old. He was like twenty one, mm-hmm. and he was cool, and he drove around in a Corvette. This was like in the seventies. And, uh, I came in and we, and we, I came and worked for him and I'm, I was, I'm a very creative guy and I did all his marketing and we really did what maybe not seem outrageous today, but about there was really outrageous marketing. We were kind of, of the first, if not, I don't know, of the first or one of the first that really took the idea of like a branded agent with a larger than life you know, persona and putting it out there. And it was really fortunate. My brother's this good looking 21 year old guy and everyone else was like, you know, legally dead. So it was really easy to pull that off. 
<laughs> and uh, but we got really really creative. So my my first couple of years was all marketing. Uh, I was really young, but um, you know, as I said, I was creative, and he literally let me do whatever I wanted. And so we did these really outrageous things that no one ever did before because we didn't know better. And it was a, it was a big success. Shortly after that, about four years into that, he got this huge commercial client, and one day he said, "Gary, the residential division is yours," which you know was. And he goes, "I'm I'm I'm going to go do these full floor leases for this." national tenant. So I was 21 years old and I took over that from him. A few years after that, I bought it, this little company from him. And um, then I gave up the company and moved to Beverly Hills when I was 30. So where you know, were started, we at up until that point? I started in Sino, the San Fernando okay. Valley, and I started selling high end. I mean, my okay. first sale was 700 grand in the seventies. That was a lot of money. Holy cow. Uh, but when I turned 30, I never really wanted to be in real estate. I mean, I wanted to be like a creative comedian or stand-up or writer or songwriter. I didn't want to be this, but I was making money way before all my friends were making money. Sure. And I remember when I turned 30, you know, it's, even back then, and real estate wasn't that cool of a business. I said, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to be a bear, I might as well be a grizzly, and I'm going to move and do it in Beverly Hills. And when I was 30, I moved from the San Fernando Valley to Beverly Hills and didn't know anything. I mean, literally, I didn't know one street from the next. Um, and I started all over. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, there's a lot that we could potentially dig into because you were talking about taking your first $700,000 listing back in the day at basically luxury listing right out of the gate. That's interesting. And then it just the whole, I love to hear more of the story of kind of how you shifted the branding, which sounds like it was very personality-based and image-based around your brother and managed to shift that, keep the business going and turn it into something that was worth you buying rather than just shutting down his business and, and starting on your own. But uh, before we get to all that, I know that people are very interested in kind of the story behind the whole play boy mansion thing so let's cover that first and then we'll dive back into some of those other elements so how did that come about okay well the playboy mansion i mean if you really want to break it down to its stores and it's really a stretch but it's the truth it really was a uh, it was from a zillow lead <laughs> okay <laughs> that makes no That's sense kind of okay, a stretch. yeah if it wasn't for zillow i wouldn't have met the person that i needed to meet um that ended up hiring me. Let's put it that way. So okay. I was a early adopter to Zillow way, way in the beginning, and I had made some really good contacts. And but this and this contact is about like three deep. It's not like someone called me up and said, "I'm looking," you know, "Oh, you want to list the Playboy Mansion?" But mm -hmm. I met someone who I met somebody who I met somebody, and ultimately. That's what led to it. But to, so a better takeaway for everyone is mm -hmm. I didn't get this any different than how anyone gets any listing. Mm -hmm. I hustled for it. I fought for it. I, you know, I had thought about it long in advance. I had been, you know, kind of positioning myself. Um, I remember I went on a listing appointment. You know, when I went on with it, I actually, they decided they were going to go with somebody else mm -hmm. and they, they were blown away by the other person's presentation. And I went back a second time to them and I said, you know, 
I know that I, I said I know that the other company is really really good at making a presentation, and they're a really good company. I'm not taking anything away from them, but let me send you the numbers. Where we really excel is in making sales in this high end area, and I can show you how we literally had our hand in over sixty percent of every. $20 million plus sale in the last year. And, you know, we've done four times more than anybody else. And I went and sent them this very this spreadsheet of our sales compared to some of the people we were competing with. And, uh, you know, we ended up getting a co-listing as a result of it. But I was shut down and I was like, you're not getting it. But at some point with that one, I had decided I'm selling the Playboy Mansion. Mm. I just made that decision, and I only saw and any obstacle, whether it was during the process of getting the listing or getting an offer or getting it closed, and they were all the most difficult to possibly do, I mean, especially the sale. Mm-hmm. I went into I – have, I have a mode I call missile lock where I don't see anything. I mean, I don't see my kids. I don't see my wife. I don't see – I don't see traffic. <laughs> I don't see people walking by my office. Um, I go into this missile lock, and that whole deal is I, I I canceled three trips. I didn't go to yoga. I go to yoga like three nights a week, but I'm out of commission for like three hours. Mm-hmm. I didn't go for two months. I didn't want to be off the grid for any period of time because it was just an all-hands-on-deck situation. Sale. Sure. And that's what I did. And, but no matter what came at me and what obstacle or what it looked like, it, you know, like something was wrong with it, I didn't see any of that. I just saw getting that deal done. And that's really interesting. So have you, have you noticed anything, and it may be a selfish question, but have you noticed anything that gets you into that missile lock mode? Is it a process of really focusing in on your goals? Is it something that's created kind of externally when obstacles come up and you're just dealing with solving the problem to get to what you want? Like, have you noticed anything that kind of triggers you into that state? Yeah. When I see a situation I, that I just know I want to get done and mm-hmm. I know it just, it just, it requires like hypervigilance. Hmm. That's interesting. Just, I, I know it requires it. I don't do it. Like if I was doing that every day, I'd be dead. Yeah. <laughs> it takes, so it it's, takes a lot out of you. It, it's just a special gear that yeah. you, uh, that you can't, that you, that you go into and to close the biggest sale in the United States in a year, it's worth yeah. doing that gear. But literally when I was done with that deal, I was wiped out. <laughs> I was wiped out. Uh, people who make films often talk about like a director. They're just all focused and, when the film's over, they end up having like the flu for three weeks. Mm. So, yeah, that makes uh, sense. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, dive in just a, briefly with me into kind of what that presentation looked like. Because you talk about how the other company, at least head to head, actually kind of beat you out just on the the flash in the pan kind of the presentation. So, what what does your listing presentation or consultation look like to Whoa. that type of high caliber client? Well, let, let, let me uh, back up. The company I was competing against, mm-hmm. they're, they're great. I mean, next to our company, we, we happen at our company, Hilton and Highland, mm-hmm. is, to the best of my knowledge, the most successful real estate office, single office in the world. Mm-hmm. We have 120 agents, and we do $3 billion a year. <laughs> 
we, yeah, we so have we call 40 people. popping numbers. We have 40 people that make over half a million bucks. You can make a half a million bucks in our office and feel like a loser. <laughs> <laughs> so it's this crazy office like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other office is like, they're freaking ballers. Mm-hmm. So I'm not taking anything away from them at all. And we ended up co-listing the property, and they're good friends of mine. But we, you know, you're like competitive, and and you work together at the same time. Gotcha. So that's how that makes sense. That's how that that went down. So it ended up being a, a co-listing with the essentially the two top people that they felt like came in and gave the best pitch for right. selling the home. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Very, very cool. All right. And then, so essentially you were just doing your prospecting. You came across something on Zillow. Do you want to go deeper into that a little bit in terms of how that connection and the relationship came about? Because it sounded like it turned into kind of an introduction to the right person that got you into the door. Just a lot of like relationship the building. The Zillow part is just kind of interesting. But what happened is I did meet someone through, well, I was a really early adopter to Zillow. Mm-hmm. And I met those guys at a conference and I ended up having a relationship with them. And I ended up actually, and this is not when they were like Zillow, they were just the startup company. I ended up driving up to, uh, flying up to Seattle a couple times and meeting with them. And I knew, a lot, I, I just really knew a lot about search and I was doing things that no one else was doing on Zillow. So they were really interested in me and I was really interested in them. And they ended up referring me a deal that I did for a charity where I sold Ashton Kutcher's house. <laughs> um, okay. And I gave my commission away to charity or half of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I happened to, in, and we did this design house and I happened to meet an, an a architect at the design house. And I liked him and I ended up referring him a deal where he did a million dollar deal. And I said to the architect, and this is, this is a good takeaway. I said, if you ever have a client who's like, not sure about what's going on with if they think they may be overbuilding it on a property or are they building the right thing or is this the right style for an area? You know, if there is any questions that they have, I'm not trying to sell them their property or if they don't want to buy, if they just have real estate questions for kind of investment resale purposes down the road, I'm happy to come in and just be of value. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think a year, year and a half later, he called me and goes, I got a client. He thinks he might be overbuilding. So he goes, will you go meet him and give him your opinion? And I went over there and I said, you're not, you're fine. And we ended up getting a relationship. And that relationship with that client was what led to getting the Playboy Mansion. But I really, if it wasn't for me being kind of, I, I'm, I'm very willing to give away advice and be of service without asking for things in advance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that that's probably the most interesting my- part about that, is that yeah. you, it wasn't just that you were willing to, you found a very unique way to present that to the architect, which is just that, like, hey, you know, if you, the, the average agent would say, hey, you know, keep in mind if you run across anybody that's buying or selling any real estate, and the architect goes, yeah, 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 that sounds great, I'll, I'll be sure to do that. And then it rolls right off water off a duck's back, and they never think about you again. You came up with this very specific, very high value offer that was actually a likely scenario that would come up at some point, and you kind of locked that in. I guarantee you, you're probably the only agent that thought to put it in those terms. So when he came across someone that was overbuilding, he remembered you. He wasn't overbuilding; he was just concerned. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the one thing I like to do is I like to become people's agent mm-hmm. before they need an agent. Right. In the true sense of word, the, the fiduciary. 
Right. I like to mm-hmm. be that go-to person. And when they think of luxury real estate, they're thinking of me and being top of mind. So you get that call. Mm-hmm. So I'm willing to put the work into an advance. Um, I'm just to, to do things like that. And you know what? I've been sober 30 years. Part of being sober is giving it away. Just mm-hmm. kind of being, I mean, wh- why am I on this call? I'm not going to make any money on this call, mm-hmm. you know, directly. Mm-hmm. But I, I find a lot of value in um, helping other people. Yeah. With this, cool. why I do the radio shows, and I, I actually have my own uh, weekly thing I'm doing called Voodoo Agent, where I'm giving tips every week, like four or five minute videos. And the reason I do that is when you teach what you know, you just learn it on a much deeper level and you get better and you're also more accountable. I can't sit here and tell everyone, your whole audience, how to sell luxury real estate and then go out and uh, follow my ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think there's a lot of risk at the, of that. You're, uh, you've been doing this for a long time. But let's, uh, let's go a high level true. for a second. That's, that's actually not true. What do you mean? Uh, a point I made in my first uh, video is... Mm-hmm. We get paid for performance. Mm-hmm. Sold the Playboy Mansion last year. If I don't perform this year, that's going to do me no good at all. Yeah. We are just like athletes. Yeah. We are in a performance-based business. And someone who's brand new that outperforms someone experienced will beat them. I'm not mm-hmm. saying they can or they will, but there are, in any given situation, it can happen. And you, we, so we don't get paid for how great we are. We get paid for how well we execute. So yes, you're, you're absolutely right about that. Let me, let me question you on that a little bit, just in terms of the the branding part of it, right? Cause you, there, there is an asset that you're building, which is the, the name of Gary gold. And of course your office and so forth have like, how does that, have you seen that start to pay off in terms of people coming to you where you're not having to chase as much? Oh, yeah, that's been paying off for a long time. And, you know, the Playboy Mansion completely added much more to that. Uh, but you still, even with those things happening, you still need to uh, leverage it. You need to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Lots of people have big successes, and it kind of works in a, to their disadvantage and end up kind of resting on their laurels, and they get lazy, and they don't do the fundamentals, and uh, they get cocky. So it can, you know, if, if, if you don't have your head on straight, it can work backwards. So, mm-hmm. but it's a total upside if you work it. Yeah. Very similar to a, you know, a, a team that goes to the Super Bowl and maybe even wins the Super Bowl. Those are the ones that are the, the most danger of sometimes not making the playoffs the next year. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so in terms of tactics, uh, you obviously you've got the relate and you continue to go out and part of your performances to continually be out there building relationships and so forth. But is there, in addition to kind of the relationship building and the networking part of marketing, which I know a lot of luxury agents are doing anyway, and we can talk about how to get better at that. But on top of that, is there any specific kind of tactical marketing uh, method or, you know, a certain type of marketing tactic that you could not do without to do what you do? Is there one thing that you can point to to say, if you had to take all the other marketing tools out of my toolbox, do not take that one because that's the one that's the most effective? Mark, you know what? I, the most, I think all the money is in lead conversion. It's really easy to get leads. 
Mm-hmm. I happen to be good at it. I'm good, good at marketing. I'm great at marketing. I mean, it's really what I am more than anything. Mm-hmm. But you could get all the leads in the world, really, you know, but it's, as I said, the good news is it's really easy to get leads today. The bad news is it's really easy to get leads today. I, I, I assume this is nationwide because there's just so many agents. For every lead you have, 10 other people have the same lead. Mm-hmm. And to go from that one of 10 to number one, to the person they end up doing a deal with, that's where all the money is. And communicating with them, and I would say the most important thing is to get what I call what I call being in play with as many people as possible. And let me explain what I mean. Let's say you have a lead, communicated, or you know someone wants to buy or sell something. And at first, you need to engage with them. You need to like have a specific conversation where you're talking about that. And the second, but you know, you could have that conversation, but still nothing has happened. It's like there's one more step, or let me get back to you on some comps, or let me see what's available, or let me. You know, there's not that. The next step is when I call when you're in play with somebody is where you've, you've communicated. You're having this ongoing conversation about buying or selling real estate. They're talking about their house and what needs to be done. And you're, you're talking back and forth or you're looking at houses or you're sharing homes on the MLS and they're sending you what they see on Zillow. And you've got this ongoing dialogue. When you've got that, you've narrowed it down and you've become maybe the, the only person or one of a couple people that you're working with. But those are the people that end up getting the deals done. If you have somebody that you're working with and they see a house on Zillow, um, you talk to them today, tomorrow they see a house on Zillow in the same neighborhood of a house that you showed, you talked to them about the day before. Even if they've got their cousin who they think is their agent, but they haven't talked to in three months, and they see that property, they're going to like pick up the phone and go, hey, what do you think about this property next door to the one you mentioned? Mm-hmm. And you're going to be the one that will end up doing the deal with them. If you weren't in play with them, you wouldn't be the guy. Someone else would be the guy. Have you noticed that you might be trying to reach somebody and you guys go back and forth playing phone tag and it takes forever? And then finally, when you connect, it's very easy to connect with people. Then it just becomes like it's it's this open line of communication because once you've made that initial connection, like mm-hmm. if you haven't made that, you might not do it in the car. You might not do it if you're sitting at lunch with your buddy. You might not do it at the gym on the on the stepper, you know. But mm-hmm. if you're already in play with them, you might pick up the phone and go, "Hey, what's up?" And yeah. you do it because it's you're you're continuing the conversation. It's not all this fanfare and set up and how you doing and formality. So the more people you're in play with about real estate and, 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 and saying things meaningful to them, that's how you make all the money. Very, very, yeah, it is, it is an interesting phenomenon. I've noticed that, that even if you don't get a chance to touch base with somebody first over the phone, even just the act of doing more than the cursory you know, setting up of a call or something like that. I mean, even when you're dealing with super busy, high level people, if you're if you email back and forth or you text them or message back and forth with them a little bit first, it's, it's something about it. It's just a little bit of a, a human connection, and it's I like your phrasing for that. Just getting in play because uh, it's it is very you can feel the tangible difference when you do finally get on the phone. There is just something of a like, hey, this is an actual human being that I'm talking to, and because you've, you've already had those exchanges, which is kind of funny. But it's it's the on it's it's really you're in the middle of a conversation. You're not in the beginning of one. Mm-hmm. 
So when you're in that middle of that conversation of buying or selling a home, that when you get on that track, that's when you're on the way to doing a deal with somebody. Very, very cool. And I know you track it. We talked a little bit about this when we first uh, were introduced and we were setting up this interview. So if you don't mind sharing, you just briefly alluded to before kind of how you um, track your numbers and, and use those to make adjustments. Can you share a little bit about what that system looks like? Well, I've actually created my own CRM that I've been using for five years, which I am going to create and sell to people at some point. I'm working, I'm, I'm working on that right now. But um I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about, but I look at people, you know, my CRM, the way I've created it is I look at people from a lot of different angles. The way the typical ones work just don't work like agents work, and you, a lot of things fall through the cracks. But mm-hmm. I know that this year I'll be talking to 250 people, like ha- having that meaningful conversation. 50 right. of them I'm going to determine that I want to kind of take a, take, you know, Take, take, take a ride with them. Try to mm-hmm. do something with about 50 of them. And 15 to 20 of them, I'll close. That's mm-hmm. my whole business. But I'm a real big game hunter. I don't need to sell any more homes. There's other mm-hmm. people that need to sell two, three, four, five times that to make a lot of money. I need the average top agent in our office sells like 12, 15 houses. Those are like mm-hmm. the top 10 people. That's what we do. Yeah. But we sell these monster houses and we need to be really, really, really high touch. And, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what I'm curious about too. Is how how does that translate in? Are, are you able to to leverage yourself with a team around you that can help with the communication, or does it really just fall to you being more available? And how do you set the client's expectations so that they know kind of when you're available versus when you aren't? Because I mean, you've got you know you got a family. Uh, I'm very high touch with people. The one thing I have done, if I'm in the middle of a deal. Or something where people are like are like talking. People sometimes are talking like every fifteen minutes. It seems like, <laughs> and they just want to be able to reach you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if I'm in that situation, uh, like in the middle of an offer, or middle of something, I'll say to my client, "Listen, I'm I'm in yoga. I'm off the grid until eight thirty. If you want to call me at eight thirty, knock yourself out." Gotcha. And if I just tell them I'm off the grid, uh, but you know. It's, you know, having a family, it's a, it's a good one. I mean, if you ever say I'm with my family, everyone gets that. But <laughs> I, I am high touch. I go on a vacation. I'm still, I'm still in communications. I'm only going to do it, you know, there's prob- I'm going to probably have 12 to 15 deals a year. Whenever, however they fall out, you know, whenever those come out, I'm all over it. Uh, I do have good people that I work with, but I don't have like a team where I'm deferring these super you know, important things too, but a lot of things I'm deferring to other people, but not the, like the deal making. Right. So the high touch in terms of the client communication negotiation, you're handling a hundred percent of that yourself. And then you pass off some of the other things to your staff. Right. They're doing some of the communication, but I'm, I am the point person on, you know, the relationship. Gotcha. Uh, now, are you? Is there anything that you can point to in terms of um, some of the newer tools or uh, or methods that are coming out? Are you doing anything that's really catching your eye with video or drone footage or anything like that? That really the the high net worth or celebrity seller is kind of looking for uh, in their luxury listing agent. I will tell you, I've been doing video for like twenty five years. Mm-hmm. It's hardly new to me. Literally, we were <laughs> doing them on on VCR. 
Yeah. Um, so I've, I was really early to the party when it comes to video. And, you know, it's evolved and it's much more prevalent. We do it just almost all the time. I use a ton of video. Uh, love it. The, uh, I will warn people, drones are gimmicky. There's mm-hmm. houses that are good for it. And you sh- if you've got a ranch, you've got an acre, you've got, you know, something that really shines with, with that. Fantastic. But I see people just always want a drone, and they'll be pulling up to this, like, track house, and you're looking at everyone's roofs and their trash cans, and you see you've got no privacy, and, like, why are you doing a video on what's bad about this property? Mm-hmm. What, it's like, so most people have their head up their ass when it comes to marketing. They don't know what they're doing. Everyone in real estate is copying each other's bad ideas, and you've got to stop and think, and, like, what are you trying to... what? What are you trying to accomplish? When you look at pictures, when you do a video, have a strategy. What are you trying to portray? Don't Mm -hmm. portray things that don't look good because it's this, you know, no one cares about your your gimmicky drone. They -hmm. care about a video that's compelling. So do a compelling video that makes sense. So stop and think a while. And these video guys, they don't. They, they they were doing something else five minutes ago. They don't know real estate marketing. They don't know what you're trying to accomplish. They're they're trying to they they like their their drone, or they went to college to be a filmmaker and they want to create drama. I've mm-hmm. I've had this happen where someone makes a video and it's like tense. It's like you're uptight. I go. I'm trying to sell a house. This isn't The Shining. <laughs> Oh, you know, now, now, when we're trying to sell someone a home to live in, <laughs> yeah, let's feel like there's a no, murderer right, right around the corner yeah. in that house I want for my family. <laughs> what are you doing? And this has happened to me before. And the guy was oh he, he was an he was an SC film student. I go, mm-hmm. I don't need the tension. I get you need it as a filmmaker, but we're trying to sell houses here. We're trying to scare the fuck out of someone. <laughs> <laughs> So, so how, how heavily involved are you in the video process? Like, are, are you getting in there, mixing it up and, you know, laying out the storyboard? Or are you just giving them kind of the high level uh, concept that you want and the feeling that you want the video to portray and then letting them run with that and with some guidance I, on top? I've only, I had one guy that did something with very little of my input and he just knocked it out of the park company called mm-hmm. interior pixels. They did it great. Other than that, I am, um, I'm all over them. Oh, all over them. They don't. These people, they they don't know. They don't understand story. They don't understand the marketing what we're trying to accomplish, and they shouldn't know. So if you're relying on some guy with a video camera to do your videos, and it's a mistake. Yeah. I see Interesting. So many, mis- so many <laughs> mistakes on that. So many mistakes. Yeah. I saw one the other day where they were in this like area that was like really like where people like walk to temple and it's this conservative area mm-hmm. and they've got this whole video set up as if like someone like, you know, some like diva lives there and, you know, she's married to some DJ and they have like this lifestyle, like a nightclub. And it's like, <laughs> who do you think is going to be buying this house? Where are you going with this? <laughs> they just yeah, completely they just, they the point. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And that's, and that's where the local it was, knowledge comes in. Right, exactly. Yep. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, so you really have to monitor and make sure that they're telling the right story, and then even if they, if they, even if they think they're telling the right story, you have to supervise and make sure that the mood 
the the sense that is conveyed in the video matches the lifestyle that you're trying to convey. Yeah, and let me tell you, social media is real. You can sell houses via social media today. That's very, very real. I mean, we were all doing yeah, it, trying to figure out is it working or not. And mm-hmm. if you get really strategic, mm-hmm. and you don't just put crap out, I, I really am. I really make really good content and do it in a really respectful way. I'm not every time I eat a tuna sandwich, I am not sharing it. So I'm really very strategic about that, but I've had great success doing all kinds of very creative things uh, throughout social media. Interesting. All right. Can you, can you give me an example of what it means to be strategic when it comes to social media? Sure. Like, I think there's nothing more obnoxious as, hi, my new three-bedroom, two-bath condo just came mm-hmm. out today, and I'm really excited about it. And, like, it looks like an advertisement. Mm-hmm. doesn't work. But I did a, a Facebook Live real quick. My assistant and I was at this house, and I go, hey, I'm here at a brand-new listing, open house on Lindacrest. I go, this is like, I go, this house used to be Jacqueline Smith's house. Next door, I sold a home to Faye Dunaway. And um, I go, this is a great street if you're a diva. And, uh, and I go, and I said, this is like, and all the homes here are like these Cole Cord, Paul William types traditionals. And it's just a really special area. So uh, if you'd like to come check it out, you know, give us a call. And I had actually people coming to the open house because of that. Some sellers, they saw it. Hmm. But that was a really, I said something that was yeah. interesting. If I went there and just talked about, you know, you know, if, if, I, if it was just mundane, if it was a mundane house, I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I try, there, there's got to be a story. There's got to be something compelling. No, with marketing, no one cares about you. They don't care about your listing. They don't care about anything. They care about themselves. So you, if you've got to say something that, would, that interests them. You got to make kind of them to be. You got to bring them in on the story, so it's of interest to them. If it's not of interest to them, it's not going to resonate, and it's going to just be noise. Yeah, well, that is a hundred percent true. And what's funny about that is that it takes it takes a level of unselfishness of kind of stepping outside of what you want to put yourself in the shoes of the people that are actually looking for a home to even get that perspective. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and every time, even when I call someone on the phone. I call. I don't. I would never ever call someone up and go, "Hey, I'm just checking in." That's code for "Hey, I have nothing to say or offer, <laughs> but I want you to give me your business because I have a pulse and a license." Mm-hmm. Call with a reason. Tell them about a property that came on the market. Tell them about a sale that is relevant to them. Tell them about, about interest rates. Tell them about how many months of, you know how many months of inventory on the market offer to come over and go, Hey, listen, if you're thinking in the next six months of selling, if you'd like me to come by and give you an idea of the five, 10, 15 things you should do to get your house ready, I'm happy to do it. If you sell your house or not, if you'd like Mm -hmm. to do that, would you like me to drive you around some neighborhoods or, Hey, even if they're a seller, I go, I know if you're buying, I know you're kind of up in the air. Here's a couple of things that I thought you might be interested in. Have you ever thought of living at the beach or whatever it is? Mm Mm-hmm. Call with a reason, because what happens is I call it pushing buttons. You're going to have these people on the fence. They're somewhere, they're somewhere there where they're going to do something in the next three, six, nine, twelve months, mm-hmm. and something, some agent at the right time is going to say the right thing to them, where they're going to go, yes. 
Mm. And you want to be that person. So I'm just always trying to find what that thing is, what, what ends up resonating with them. What is that one thing that gets them off the dime that you've provided to them to take a, a step forward? Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. That's, uh, that's a very cool concept, the, the concept of just pushing buttons, offering value primarily, but just mm-hmm. trying to be that person that says the right thing at the right time by offering that right carrot on the end of the stick at the right time. Exactly. And you know what? It's completely sincere. You're helping them whether you get the deal or not. You're doing that. But that is what, but to just call up and now I know people who are just so good as salesmen, they just call all day long and it works and bravo. I I'm insecure or I am completely frightened of the telephone and calling somebody if I have nothing to bring to the table. Right. If I have something to bring to the table, I'll call anybody. Mm-hmm. If I have nothing to bring to the table, I'm nervous to call someone. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I know a lot of people that are very good at communicating with their database, but they they don't have that insecurity. Uh, for whatever reason, they have that belief. Uh, and I and, you know, envy them sometimes, but they have the belief that just the act of them calling is a value. And so to them, they don't have that, that fear. Just, just keeping in touch and, and looking at their database as, as friends and connections and things like that just helps them get, they, they just don't have that, um, that concern. And so they're able right. to just call and pick up the phone and say, hey, you know, how's, how's life? How are things? You know, how are the kids? And if you genuinely mean it, then that's one thing. But most people are unable to do that. I heard some guys say, stop booty calling your database. That was probably the best quote <laughs> exactly. I've heard in a long time. To, to me, it feels very disingenuous. Yeah, I'm all like, I'm, I have fun with things, but it's, I like to be, I like to, you know what? Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to prove I was smart. And I think I just like to be like, wow, this guy's sharp. I want someone mm-hmm. to say, that's a sharp guy. I want to work with him. He knows what's up. That is what makes me happy. I don't want people to call because I'm a nice guy. Right. I mean, not that I'm not a nice guy, but other people can do it, and God bless them, and it's great. To me, it feels insincere. Maybe there are people that it is sincere with, but I don't like that many people that much. <laughs> <laughs> and I like people, but I mean, I like people. I just really like having that very, very straightforward, bringing them value mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah, and you have the self-awareness enough to know that, that that's where your comfort zone is, and you, and you stay within it. Maybe not comfort zone, even. It's more of a, a circle of competence is what Warren Buffett would call it. So, Right. Yes, very, very good. Okay, well, I want to be sensitive to your time, and I know you've shared even more than, than I expected, and I don't want to get you back where we can get Mike and you on together and right. kind of bat around some marketing ideas. But uh, So I just want to give you a chance to kind of let people know where, where they can get in touch with you, where they can connect with you. Uh, if you'd like to steer people to social media or to your website, wherever you'd like to connect with people, We'll just let them know how to do that. What I'd love to people to connect with is either on Facebook, uh, but or YouTube. My my YouTube channel, Voodoo Agent, is where I am giving these pearls of wisdom. If you think they're pearls of wisdom, every week. I, I, I today I just lo- I just dropped my third video, and I also have some of these like radio shows like yours. I post on there as well. And that's like a really good spot. My, my website's soldbygold.net, but I would love to communicate with you if you have any questions on Voodoo Agent on YouTube. That would be awesome. Very cool. Yeah, very easy to find on both YouTube and Facebook, guys. So go check that out. 
Um, as for our show, you can subscribe on iTunes and YouTube as well. And Gary, thanks a lot, man. This was awesome. Exactly kind of what I had in mind. I wish Mike could have joined us just so you guys could bat around some things together. We'll do that another time. But yeah, this has been perfect. And I know people got a ton of value. I mean, I was I was taking a lot of notes just as we were as we were chatting. And I know the uh, the listeners will be, too. Thanks. Great. Love to come back. Hey there, it's Michael Lafito. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. If you are interested in signing up for our luxury listing specialist certification, or if you want additional information on how you can dominate selling higher end homes in your marketplace, make sure you go to luxurylistingspecialist.com.